So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be begin by reading verse 1 of Isaiah 7 and read all the way down through verse 17, where the prophet Isaiah records these words. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Let's pray. Once again, our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of opening the word that you have written to us, these words that should be precious to your people, these words that are spirit and our life, these words which give us hope. Help us to embrace the words by faith. Help us to welcome these words as they truly are, the word of God. And help us to not be faithless like Ahaz, but to express a faith that believes these words and treasures them. Thank you for this time to look at your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, obviously, the verses 10 through at least 14 are ones you've probably heard repeatedly. You've probably heard those words over and over again. If you do your own personal Advent time, you probably read this passage of Scripture because this, is, this passage of Scripture is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, I'll just briefly turn your attention there to Matthew chapter 1, where it's talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. And in verse 20... After talking about Joseph, who finds out that his betrothed is, is with child, that she is essentially pregnant, and he knows he's not the dad, he wonders if she has been unfaithful to him, and so he's minded to essentially divorce her, but he doesn't want to make a big deal about it, so he's going to do it privately. That it says in verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew ends the quote from the angel and inserts his own commentary in verse 22. This is Matthew, what he has to say about this event. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So Matthew tells a story of what happened 21 centuries ago for us, and he says this is what this means. And he quotes from the passage in Isaiah chapter 7 that's before us today. But what I want to do for you this evening is to put this passage in Isaiah 7 back in its historical context and then try to extrapolate some things for us that I think we can learn from these things. So let's begin by looking at the historical background that's going on in Isaiah 7. Our verses we're going to look at are verses 10 through 17, or really uh, 10, 10 through 14, but, but I want to look at verses 1 through 9 and just explain what's going on here. So in verse 1, you find out that it says it came to pass in the, day has, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. If you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you know that Uzziah's name has just been mentioned the chapter before it. Because Isaiah says in chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. So we know that whatever events are happening in the days of Ahaz, they happened after Uzziah has already died died. Who was Ahaz? Ahaz was the king of the southern divided kingdom. So you remember, Israel ends up getting divided. The 12 tribes, they have a split. 10 of the tribes end up in the northern part that remains as Israel. In fact, when you see it during the divided kingdom, it's referred to as Israel. But then two of the tribes end up in the southern part of the promised land, and they are the southern kingdom of Judah. They, those two tribes comprise that southern kingdom. Ahaz is one of the kings of that southern kingdom. And we won't go into all of Ahaz, but suffice it to say, he was not a good man. And as we'll see momentarily, he was a faithless man. He did not believe in what God had to tell him. So it's during the days of King Ahaz, and King Ahaz reigned in the 8th century. In fact, the specific dates are he reigned from 735 B.C. to 715 B.C. Ahaz 
is a historical person who lived in a historical setting eight centuries before the events Matthew records. So keep that in mind. That's an important point. Ahaz is eight centuries before Jesus is born. Then we learn about these two other people. It says, obviously, in the days of Ahaz, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem. Now, we have two kingdoms that are being mentioned here. The first one is by, uh, the, really, the kingdom of Syria, but it's mentioning specifically the king, Rezin. Rezin would not, obviously, have been a Jew. He would have been a, a pagan. He would have been a Gentile, if you will. And he makes an alliance with, you'll notice there, the guy's name is Pekah, king of Israel. So remember how I said Israel's divided? Pekah is the king of the northern ten tribes. And he makes an alliance with this guy named Rezin from Syria, who's even farther north. They make an alliance. Why do they make an alliance? Because there was a pagan people, the Assyrians, who were trying to spread their kingdom. And their spread was very formidable in so much that they were taking land after land after land and Syria with Rezin as king and the northern ten tribes with Israel, with, with Pekah as king, they feel threatened. So what they decide to do is they make it the attacks of the Assyrians. Presumably, they thought, okay, you know, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom, they're not getting along. Presumably, they thought, okay, if even though we're not getting along, could we at least get Ahaz of the southern kingdom of Judah to come with us so that we could have three kings, all so that we can basically withstand the attacks of the Assyrians. But Ahaz apparently was not willing to go along with it. He did not want to make an alliance with the northern kingdom, with Pekah at Israel, nor with Rezin, even farther north in Syria. And this ticked off Rezin and Pekah. So essentially, what they decided to do, according to the passage here, as we'll see, they decided they are going to go down and invade the southern kingdom of Judah. They were going to besiege Jerusalem, where Ahaz is, and they were going to dethrone him and set up their own king. In fact, if you read down through, through verse 4 there, it's, here's what God says about what they're doing. Actually, jump down to verse 5. He says, Don't be afraid because of Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah. They have plotted evil against you, Ahaz, the southern kingdom, saying, Let us go up against Jerusalem and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. That's their goal, to dethrone Ahaz, set up their own puppet king, who will obviously agree with whatever they want, because they set up that king, so that then they can have an alliance and utilize all of the resources and weapons and soldiers of the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, here's Ahaz, and he's got a problem. He's got two kingdoms who are very powerful, who have allied themselves together against him. What's even worse is there's some threats from the south in Egypt, because the Egyptians were making some rumblings, potentially hoping to take advantage of the southern kingdom of Judah. So Judah is surrounded. They've got two kingdoms to the north of them allied together, coming down to attack them and dethrone Ahaz and set up their own puppet king and create their own kingdom there, as it, will, as it were. 
But then they also have the threat from the south. So we find out when Ahaz learns the news in verse 2, Assyria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. He's terrified. In fact, Isaiah says, his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They're terrified. Ahaz doesn't know what to do. And this is interesting because I think that if we were in Ahaz's shoes, we would be tempted to be equally as terrified. If we were to find out that Canada were to come and invade us and we're afraid that Mexico is going to come up and invade us from the south and we're surrounded and we don't think that we have the resources or the military power to defend ourselves against those powerful forces, we would be terrified too. And so Ahaz essentially doesn't know what to do and starts to formulate this plan in his mind. But while he's doing that, the prophet Isaiah, who lived during Ahaz's times, receives a word from the Lord in verse 3, who says, go out now to meet Ahaz. Go meet him at this specific location and take your son, Shir Jashub, which literally means a remnant shall return. Isaiah, you and your son, go up and meet with Ahaz and say to him in verse 4, take heed, be quiet, do not fear, or be faint-hearted. Over and over again, God, as the defender of his people, tells them, don't be afraid. Why do they not have to fear? Why do the people of God not have to fear? Because the people of God have God as their defender, as their protector. And so when God gives these promises of hope to his people, he's always telling them, don't be afraid. One, I think, because he knows our human nature and weakness. He knows that we're tempted to fear. He knows that we are going to think in terms of how can I get out of this mess how can I get out of this circumstance? Ahaz is thinking this. As we'll see, Ahaz is not a God-fearing man. In fact, he's a faithless man. But he is still part of this people that God has chosen for himself, that God has promised to the fathers, the forefathers, that he would protect them and care for them. And so God tells Isaiah, give Ahaz this message. Do not be afraid. In fact, you're afraid of the fact that they are coming down, really, the text says they're going up to Jerusalem, and obviously those of you who went to Israel know why it says it's going up, because it's literally an elevated fortress, as it were, they're even though they're going south. They're going up to Jerusalem, they're coming to attack you, but don't be afraid, because, verse 7, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. These two kingdoms who are coming up to attack you will not succeed. I will not let them. So Ahaz, do not fear. They're simply like a firebrand. The stubs of a smoking firebrand, it says in verse 4. And you see the anger of Rezin, who is the king of Syria. And you see the anger of of Pekah, who is the king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. But don't fear them, you little southern kingdom of Judah, for I will protect you. 
you would think that this would bring great comfort to Ahaz. Even as a wicked king that he is, you would think he would be praising God and saying, I don't understand why you would be so gracious to me. I have not been faithful to you. I have not been a good leader of your people, and yet you are delivering me and these people from the unjustified attacks of these two northern kingdoms. But God tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz this one little phrase at the end. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. What's at stake here with Ahaz and the message that Isaiah brings to him from God? What is at stake is whether or not Ahaz will believe the message. Whether or not he will believe that God will in fact keep his word and protect them. God does something unique as we get to our text now. It says in verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. And we don't know whether or not this was immediately following the message that Isaiah gave him or whether there was a short period of time where maybe a few days, a few weeks, maybe a couple months had passed before Isaiah comes back with a message. Either way, God gives this message. And I'm inclined to think it continues at this very moment when Ahaz hears, God will protect you. That Isaiah says, here is what God tells you, Ahaz, in verse 11. Ask yourself a sign. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it from the depth or in the height above. It's a blank check. Ahaz, I have given you this message and you are obligated to believe it. But ask a sign. Ask of me to show or demonstrate to you that I will in fact do what I have said. You would think that Ahaz would say, all right, Lord, if that's what you want, then do this. Maybe his son Hezekiah, he would have, he would have thought of something like, hey, make the, the shadow on the steps turn backwards, something that scientifically doesn't make sense. Or maybe he would have been thinking of something like Gideon did, put out the fleece, but make sure that the dew doesn't end up on the fleece, it ends up on everything else. Just, he he could have thought of anything. But he says this in verse 12. Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. You say, that doesn't sound like a bad response. I mean, isn't that exactly what God says? If you were to turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you would read in verse 6 this little commandment, and I say little, that's tongue-in-cheek, in chapter 6, verse 16, excuse me, God says through Moses, the leader of the children of Israel, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. So Ahaz seems to give a faithful response. Lord, I will not test you. I will not tempt, I will not test the Lord my God. Most of us, if we were reading this and not realizing what response God gave to that, might think, what a faithful response. He's, he's believing the word of God. And not only that, he's actually utilizing the word of God to justify why he won't actually ask a sign. Seems like a faithful response, doesn't it? But as we'll see, 
in verse 13, that is not the case. For the Lord responds through Isaiah. This is Isaiah speaking, but this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? The response of Ahaz was a facade. It was not righteousness. It was not a faith-filled response. It was a man who was faithless and wanted to do and employ any means he could to not answer faithfully. In a short, Ahaz did not believe God. And God gave to him in verse 9 the warning of what happens if you won't believe. If you do not believe, you will not be established, Ahaz. And God says, I see right through your facade. You have an air of righteousness. You even quote to me verses from my holy word. But it's nothing but pious garbage. It's a faithless response. You do not believe me. In which case, God says, verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You will act faithlessly. I'm exposing your faithless response, and I will give you a sign. And here is what he says is his sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You say, okay, how, what is going on here? Like, how is this a sign to Ahaz? And this is where it gets a little tricky, I have to admit to you. Because when you think of this, this whole event that Ahaz is happening, got happening in his life, is happening in 734 B.C., In short, it's happening roughly eight centuries before Jesus is born. Eight centuries. How are we to understand these words when he says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son? How is this a sign to Ahaz if it's referencing Jesus? Because remember, Matthew quotes this passage and says, this whole episode with Joseph and Mary and Mary having a child being conceived of the Holy Spirit, all of this is fulfilling the prophecy given in Isaiah 7, which Matthew is saying happened eight centuries later. What's going on here? Well, essentially, there's two debates. The first one is surrounding the word virgin. There are people today who want to remove from the Scriptures anything that has to do with miraculous things. So, for example particularly in the 1800s and the early 1900s, there were a group of liberal theologians who said, nothing in this book that is miraculous could have happened. Essentially what it has to be is it has to be some kind of explanation of mythical realities, legends, if you will, that kind of got out of hand. And so what they say is that there are certain things that are impossible and we know in the scientific realm can't happen. For example, a virgin does not conceive by herself. So when they came to this passage, they went to the Hebrew, and the Hebrew word that is used for virgin is the Hebrew word alma. And they said, aha, now we know what's going on. This is not a virgin. The word alma really means young woman. 
So, what's happening here in our English translation is they're kind of mistranslating the Hebrew word and they're trying to force some kind of bizarre teaching that there was a virgin who conceived and bore a son. But reality is, is that Hebrew word just means a young woman. She could have been 17, 18, or 19, but she wasn't a virgin when she conceived. She got married. She had a kid with her husband, like the normal biological process is. And we're just putting a whole bunch of doctrinal weight on this that really shouldn't be there. And I won't get into all of it, but the reality is, is that this, not only does this Hebrew word actually mean virgin in other contexts, but when Matthew quotes this passage from the Greek translation of the Hebrew, he uses a Greek word called, par, the word is parthenos, but basically it only means virgin. It can't mean anything else. So when Matthew is quoting this passage and he's using a Greek translation of a Hebrew text, he's using a word that can only mean virgin, which means when Isaiah said these words to Ahaz, Isaiah did not mean a young woman who got married and had a kid. Isaiah means this was a virgin who miraculously conceived a child. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is, all right, let's just say for argument that this is talking about a virgin having a kid without a guy. That's kind of bizarre. How is this, if this is talking about Jesus, a sign for Ahaz? Because Ahaz is supposed to see, as we read earlier, that this child, before he knows how to discern evil and choose good and things like that, before he knows those things, the land that we dread, namely the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, those two kingdoms, they're going to be overthrown before that kid even is old enough to know right from wrong. And some have said that could be between ages four and six when that, when that kid is four or six years old. Or maybe it's when he's legally accountable before the, the government, so age 13. Either way, six or 13 that's a far cry from almost 800 years later. So they said, how is this a sign to Ahaz of the fact that God's word is true? Because Ahaz clearly did not live eight, almost 800 years to see a virgin conceive and bear a kid. And there's two main view, three main views. Two of them, I think, are legitimate and potential options. The first view is this, that this passage actually isn't teaching about Jesus that it's only talking about some woman 800 years before Jesus was born who had a kid and who named her kid Emmanuel, meaning God with us. I don't think that's a legitimate option, though there are some people who have said that. Option number two is that this is only talking about Jesus, that for Ahaz, his sign, he wouldn't physically see with his eyes, but with the eyes of faith he would see. He would see from 800 years uh, you know, 730-ish years later, he would see, by faith, the, the fulfillment of this sign. The third option, and the one I'm more inclined to hold to, although I think the second one is legitimate, is that actually there's both happening. That in Ahaz's time, there was probably going to be a woman who would bear a child through normal conception, a you know, husband and a wife having a kid, and that they would name their child Emmanuel reminding themselves of the promise of God, or at the very least, they nicknamed him Emmanuel, but that also God was using this in some way to foreshadow what 730-odd years later would be the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I'm more inclined to believe either the second or this last one I just mentioned, 
in any case, I believe this has to be somehow connected to Jesus because when Matthew says, this was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, I think he meant it, that this was somehow foreshadowing, foreshadowing Jesus who would come. So all of that in mind then, God says to Ahaz, you have a faithless response. Let me give you a sign. There is a virgin who will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Why would that name be important to Ahaz? Because Ahaz at this point doesn't believe Emmanuel. He doesn't believe God is with him. In fact, I'm inclined to think that Ahaz, when he hears God give him this blank check and say, Ahaz, ask me a sign of whatever you want. It could be from the depths of the sea to the heights of the heavens. Ask whatever you want and I will show you a sign that demonstrates that I am with you. That already in the back of Ahaz's mind, he's already concocting a plan. Saying, I don't think God's going to be able to protect us. So you know what? I might need to talk to the southern kingdom of Egypt and see if I can get them to help me. He's already planning to not believe God because he doesn't believe God was with him. And so God tells to Ahaz, there will be a virgin who conceives and bears a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. One other thing to note is that what would happen if Pekah and Israel and Rezin and Syria had overthrown Ahaz and the southern kingdom of Judah? They would have placed instead a king who is not of the line of David. Somebody who had not been connected to the promise that God made to David that there will be someone who reigns on your throne and will continue on because I will protect your people. It would be a break of the line that God had made. And so what is at stake here is more than the fact that there are two kingdoms going after Ahaz. What's at stake is the line and lineage of David. And what does Matthew and Luke and all of the other New Testament writers make emphasis of when they talk about Jesus? That he is in the line and lineage of David. That there was a fulfillment of God's promises to his people that there would be somebody reigning on David's throne. What God is telling Ahaz is there is something more at stake than just you, Ahaz. What's at stake is my integrity. What's at stake is my faithfulness. I will give you a sign that my word is true. I will protect you. And I am with you. And the sign will be a child whose name is Emmanuel. What does this have to do with me and you? I think the question of faith is also true for our day now. 21 centuries after that child was born. And the question is, will you believe the words of God? When God gives a message, do you believe it? When God says there was a virgin who conceived and bore a son and called his name Emmanuel or Jesus, do you believe that? 
When God says that this man lived a perfect, holy, righteous life in full conformity to God's law, who did miracles that authenticated not only the message he gave, but who he was as the Son of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has raised him from the dead? Do you believe that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved? Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And that no man can come to the Father except through him. The question of faith in what God has said is just as true now, 21 centuries after that child was born, as it was eight centuries before he was born. God told Ahaz, believe my message. And Ahaz acted faithlessly. How often do we do that? How often do we act faithlessly? For us as Christians, we act faithlessly every time we choose our sin over our Savior. For those of us in this room who are not saved, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone to to save you from your sins, you are acting faithlessly in that you're not believing the message that God has given about the way of salvation through him. The issue here with Ahaz, with this sign, is whether or not he would believe what God told him. And the issue is the same for us today. Will you believe what God has told you and particularly what he has revealed to us about that child, Emmanuel, God with us? Jesus, who is born of a virgin, is the one who fulfilled that promise, as Matthew said, that he is the one who is God with us. If we believe that, then let's not be like Ahaz and act faithlessly, but act in faith and obedience to his word. Let's pray. Lord, it is our joy to see the prophecies concerning the child born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. These precious truths are not unimportant. They're not theological inquiries. They are the very foundations of our faith. Ahaz acted faithlessly, and you gave to him a sign Help us not only to embrace that child who is the fulfillment of it, but help us to act faithfully to the promises of your word. Thank you for these precious truths. Help us to cling to them this Christmas season, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.